Life's better with American Family Insurance because our home policies help protect your dreams and come with peace of mind. Save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote, find an agent at amfam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit Amfem.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. Listeners, and welcome to Ohio Mysteries. Hopefully, everyone had a fantastic Thanksgiving. Now, last Friday, the Akron Beacon Journal, Ohio.com, and Ohio Mysteries released another fantastic collaborative podcast. This one was about the shooting at the Odd Corner in Akron. We talked to a friend of the victim and the detectives assigned to the case. This case is still unresolved. Definitely check that one out if you have not listened to it. Then... On Wednesday, Mike and Dan brought you the history of the body snatching in Ohio. That's right. Back in the 1800s, when medical schools needed cadavers, they turned to the grave robbers who would sell the corpses to these schools. If you have not listened to Wednesday's podcasts in a while, you are missing out. Now, let's get to this week's episode and throw another log on the fire, campers. Let's dig up a new mystery. I'm your co-host Steve Yoder, and with us as always is our award-winning journalist who spent 30-plus years at the Akron Beacon Journal bringing you stories just like this, Paula Schleiss. Hi, everybody. The United States Constitution has 27 amendments attached to it. The Founding Fathers knew the original Constitution was far from perfect, but the real magic in it was the ability for it to grow as we grew as a nation, reflecting our progress. I'm betting you know a few amendments right off the top of your head. The First Amendment, of course, that one is about the right to free speech and freedom of religion. And then there's the Second Amendment, that one comes up all the time, the right to bear arms. I bet you even know something of the Fifth Amendment without looking, As in, I plead the fifth. That one put in place a lot of procedural safeguards if you ever find yourself criminally accused of something. How about the 14th Amendment? Well, a few weeks ago, I would have bet all of us would have failed that on an exam. But lately, the 14th Amendment has been in the news, so maybe you know at least part of this one. Way back in 1865, after the Civil War ended and slavery was abolished, our country was reinvented and new laws had to address some changes. 
the 14th Amendment covered several things as it related to Reconstruction. A small part of it is what's currently in the spotlight. It basically says no one who engaged in insurrection or rebellion against the U.S. can hold a federal office. That's relevant right now because Colorado's Supreme Court will soon be deciding a case about whether Donald Trump can be kept off the state's primary ballot for that reason. We are going to leave that argument to the courts because it's not important to our topic tonight. Our topic is about the fact that the man who framed the first section of the 14th Amendment and argued for its passage was from Ohio. John Armour Bingham is considered one of the founders of the new America that was born from the ashes of the Civil War. And the part that he was the architect of is known as the Equal Protection Clause, a law that is cited in courtroom battles more often than the right to free speech, the right to bear arms, or the right to remain silent. So I guess if there is a mystery tonight, it's one we can answer. What the heck is the 14th Amendment? And who was John Armour Bingham? This is a short episode, folks, but hey, I think you're going to learn a little something you didn't know before, and that's always worthwhile. John Bingham was born in 1815 in Mercer County, Pennsylvania, right on the Ohio border. His dad, Hugh, fought in the War of 1812, and after the war, to get more people to move what was then the country's wild frontier, veterans were offered land for their service. So Hugh and his family packed up their wagon and went to Mercer, where Hugh made a living as a bricklayer and carpenter. But young John soon faced a not uncommon problem. His mom, Esther, died in 1827. His dad remarried, and our 12-year-old did not get along with his stepmother. That's how he ended up in Ohio. He went to live with his Uncle Thomas, a merchant in Cadiz. That's in Harrison County, in the east-central part of the state, And there, John apprenticed as a printer for two years. He helped publish Luminary. That was an anti-Masonic newspaper. The anti-Masonics opposed the Freemasons, believing they were corrupt, elitist, and secretly ruling much of the country. John was also a vocal abolitionist, like his father Hugh and his uncle Thomas. After completing his apprenticeship, John went to Franklin College, a college founded by abolitionists in New Athens, right there in Harrison County. Now, I gotta tell you, I never thought I'd have to mention New Athens, but I was warned by people, if I ever did, to make sure I pronounced it Athens and not Athens, even though it is spelled exactly like the more prominent Ohio city of that name. So, if you were one of the people warning me ahead of time, thanks. Turns out, I get to mention New Athens, and because of you, I'm pronouncing it right. Unless you were tricking me. In 
Anyway, it was during John's time in New Athens that he befriended a former slave, Titus Bassfield, who went on to become the first African-American to graduate college in Ohio. The two men remained friends and corresponded for years. In 1840, John earned his law degree and was admitted to the bar in Ohio and Pennsylvania, and he began his practice in Cadiz. His father and uncle were very politically active, so not surprisingly, John followed in their footsteps. He joined the Whig Party and campaigned for President William Henry Harrison twice. William Henry Harrison, of course, is one of the eight presidents that Ohio sent to the White House. John's law practice extended to Tuscarawas County and its seat of New Philadelphia, and that's where he won his first election. He became Tuscarawas County's district attorney from 1846 to 1849. It was just the beginning. John went on a few years later to win election to the 34th Congress, then re-elected three more times. He was a Republican now, the Whig Party having gone pretty much extinct by then. On his fifth attempt to keep his office, he ran into a problem. Ohio's district lines were redrawn following the census of 1860, and in the newly redrawn district, John's vocal anti-slavery views were less appreciated. The bigger problem was that the Civil War was underway, and Ohio's Union soldiers, who tended to lean more Republican, were away fighting, and they were not allowed to vote by mail. So John lost his re-election and his congressional seat. Turned out, it wasn't the end of the world. Far from it. It opened a door to a new job that put John Bingham in the national spotlight. President Abraham Lincoln appointed John as Judge Advocate of the Union Army with the rank of Major. And when Lincoln was assassinated a couple of years later, John was appointed as one of the three prosecutors who conducted the trial against the conspirators who planned the president's murder. You may recall at least I hope you do, that Lincoln was shot and killed by John Wilkes Booth on April the 14th, 1865. But there were a number of conspirators involved in that plot, and eight of them went to trial. John and the other prosecutors on the case succeeded in getting the death penalty for four of those conspirators, including Mary Surratt, the first woman in American history to be executed. Right after that trial, John went back to Congress. You see, Ohio law had changed by then, and soldiers away from home were finally allowed to vote by mail. So John took on the guy who defeated him, Joseph White, and this time he won and began his fifth term in the House.
Round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary, over prohibited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. John was a pretty experienced legislator by now, so no surprise that in 1866, with the war over, he was appointed to a congressional subcommittee to deal with the reconstruction of our country after those four brutal years of civil war. America, once called the New World, was in many ways a new world all over again. Hundreds of thousands of people who had been slaves were now free citizens. But that didn't mean that the people who supported the South were going to make it easy on them. John Bingham proposed changing the Constitution so that states were required to treat all of their citizens equally. John laid out his argument for this Equal Protection Clause before the House. He pointed out examples of states that had been flagrantly treating black Americans differently than white residents, flagrantly violating their rights and getting away with it because there was no federal law that said they couldn't. As a matter of fact, Southern states weren't even following the original Ten Amendments, which we call collectively the Bill of Rights. In the South, for instance, abolitionist speech was banned, and at least one state punished its advocates with death. Bingham said, the American people cannot have peace if, as in the past, states are permitted to take away the freedom of speech and to condemn men as felons to the penitentiary for teaching their fellow men that there is a hereafter and a reward for those who learn to do well. John's effort to rectify this problem of states just willy-nilly deciding which citizens had rights under the law became Section 1 of the 14th Amendment to the Constitution. Here's how it reads. No state shall make or enforce any law which shall abridge the privileges or immunities of citizens of the United States, nor shall any state deprive any person of life, liberty, or property without due process of law, nor deny to any person within its jurisdiction the equal protection of the laws. Now, at first, some people argued that the language should be a little more specific, that it should identify the newly freed slaves. But John, very wisely, said no, that an an amendment important enough to become part of the Constitution should preserve equal protections for every citizen. After all, who knows who might be discriminated against next? John won the day, and the amendment passed both houses pretty much as John wrote it. 
it was ratified by voters in 1868. Now, how important was that sentence that John Bingham crafted? Well, as I already mentioned earlier, and it may come a surprise to you, Section 1 of the 14th Amendment is cited in more litigation than any other amendment to the Constitution. Now, having said all of that, it would be wrong to suggest the 14th Amendment fixed all the problems it intended to. For generations after it was ratified, states still allowed their laws to be applied in discriminating ways. It was well into the 20th century before the 14th Amendment had a real chance at keeping a promise that even the original U.S. Constitution never gave its citizens. It was John Bingham's words that were used to desegregate public schools, to end discrimination against women, to establish equal voting rights, even to guarantee the right to sexual privacy and marriage equality. John Bingham was re-elected to Congress three more times, I think that's eight times overall, and later he was appointed by President Ulysses Grant, oh, and he's one of the other eight presidents from Ohio, to become ambassador to Japan. John spent the rest of his life speaking out for equal rights in the face of Jim Crow laws that were enacted in the South specifically to keep black citizens oppressed. He had to give up the fight, though, in 1900. On March the 19th of that year, John died in Cadiz. It was nine years after his wife, Amanda, died. Amanda was his first cousin, Uncle Thomas's daughter. Their marriage lasted 47 years and produced three children. John was buried next to her in the old Cadiz Cemetery. So there you go, short and sweet. I don't suppose anyone is going to write a Broadway musical about John Bingham, but gosh darn it, he truly was one of our country's heroes, and we should not forget him. By the way, many thanks to Ohio Mysteries listener Teresa, who suggested this episode. That's it for tonight, listeners. For photos, news clippings, and more on this and every one of our episodes, hop on over to ohiomysteries.com. And we'll see you back here next week for another episode of Ohio Mysteries. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.